welcome to the Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Become an authority, build a community, and sell with respect. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to the March 2012 episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show. This month we'll be talking about building your online reputation, actioning yourself as an authority. Our feature interview is with marketing expert from New Zealand, Kirsten Hodgson, and we look at how to build a strong online reputation so you can attract new clients and customers to your business. Then we'll also look at ways of protecting your online reputation. I'll explain briefly how to choose a webinar provider, and then I'll talk about some events coming up that will help you with your online presence. So that's all coming up in the show. Let me start by giving you the big picture overview of how internet marketing has changed recently and what that means for your online authority and reputation. Now, you might remember not so long ago when the only place that people could find you on the internet was on your website. That used to be the case, but it's no longer the case. Now, anybody can publish online without needing web design skills. And what that means is that many people will hear about you online before they ever visit your website. So, you have to establish build and nurture your online reputation in a number of different places. It's not just as easy as giving out your business card with your website address on it. So I like to think of your online presence like the solar system, with your website, which is the sun, in the middle, and the other planets are orbiting around it. So the innermost planets are for sharing your expertise. This is where you have your blog, your email newsletter, a podcast, special report, and YouTube videos. So those are the innermost planets. That's where you share your expertise. The outermost planets are the other online places where you build your reputation. So this includes major social media platforms. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+. They're the big four. As well as niche online communities where you participate and contribute. So if you want to become an authority, you do two things. You use those innermost planets, the things like your blog and newsletter, to show your expertise. And you use the outermost planets, things like social media, to build your reputation. In other words, to spread your expertise. Now, does this mean you need to spend every waking moment on the internet? The good news is, no, you don't. Benjamin Franklin once said about reputation, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. Now, most people who quote that do so as a warning about the one bad deed. But I'd like to emphasize and focus the many good deeds. For most of us in business, building an online reputation is a series of many small good deeds. So it's not like setting aside a whole weekend and saying, I'm going to build my reputation in a weekend. It's just doing things regularly. And you only have to do small things. So it is a commitment, but not a large commitment. So your goal should be to be a valuable member of your community, your online community, not to push your products and services at every opportunity. So focus on helping not promoting, and your reputation will grow. Now, I talk about this in my book, Fast, Flat, and Free. And so does my guest, Kirsten Hodgson, who's my guest for the feature interview for this month. So let's join Kirsten now as we talk about how to use internet marketing tools, particularly social media tools, to attract new business. This is Gihan Pereira, and welcome to this interview. I'm speaking with Kirsten Hodgson all the way over from Auckland, New Zealand. Kirsten's from Kaleidoscope Marketing, and I've been following Kirsten for a while, uh, not in a stalker kind of way, but just in following the tweets that she's been posting, the blog posts, and it's quite interesting because the sort of stuff that Kirsten's talking about with building online reputations is very aligned to the sort of things that I do. Uh, Kirsten works uh, particularly with professional service firms and goes... It, 
the work that she does goes further than online marketing because she does talk about their business development, helping them to retain and grow their current client base and attract more of their ideal clients. And like, uh, like I, Kirsten sees as social media tools and internet marketing is an essential way of doing this. So welcome Kirsten, how are you going? I'm well, thanks Gian. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Yeah, look, my pleasure, my pleasure. Now, I've given you a little bit of an introduction, but it probably hasn't done you justice. So why don't we start by, if I ask you, who are you and how did you get involved in this area, both in online marketing and, and in working with professional service firms? Sure. Well, I started working in professional services marketing in the late 1990s. I initially worked with engineers and then moved into law firms. So I worked for large law firms in the UK and in New Zealand and then set up on my own in 2004. In terms of social media, um, I used to use it for personal um, reasons way back in the Friends Reunited days. Do you remember those days? Um, And I then moved to New Zealand and all my family and friends were back in the UK so when Facebook came along um, I immediately hopped on there and started using that and also started using Skype to keep in touch with family and friends Um, and I think I was on maternity leave when my when somebody sent me a LinkedIn invite and I I wondered what it was about and took a look and I immediately saw how it could benefit my clients as well as my business. So I spent much of those um, days on maternity leave upskilling and just finding out how LinkedIn worked and it's grown from there really. I got on Twitter and Google Plus um, and it's just really interesting to just monitor each channel and see how it's growing. Well, it is quite interesting that the way you've described it, you started off using them as very much as social tools, as personal tools, and uh, at the time that you were using it, like the 1990s, the, the business world hadn't really caught on to these tools. In fact, some of them weren't even around at the time. And I'm just interested in your perspective as how you think these, these tools can now be used in a, in a business sense. I mean, LinkedIn seems like an obvious business tool, but social, uh, social tools like Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, some of them see them as, uh, some people see them as a little bit of only for personal use and not really business oriented. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, how, how you choose to use them really depends on what it is that you're looking to achieve. So the way that I view these tools is there are other channels that can help you achieve your business development and marketing goals. Um, But you need to be really clear about why you're using social media channels and what you want to achieve. And I think it's interesting that people see Facebook and and Google Plus and Twitter perhaps as um, personal tools. And they are, but there are so many good success stories of businesses using them effectively. For example, I work with an accountant here in New Zealand, and he brings in between $20,000 and $30,000 worth of new business through Facebook each year. But he doesn't have the traditional Facebook business page. He just goes out and finds property investors. He used to use the old groups on Facebook and Mm -hmm. connect with people there. And then they'd add him as friends and he he built his business that way. 
So I think it's, it's just really interesting. And um, where you choose to invest your time, I think, largely depends on where are those that you want to reach active. Typically, in the B2B space, that would tend to be LinkedIn. But if you're targeting consumers, then don't discount Facebook and don't discount Google Plus either. And when you say consumers, uh, typically people would look at Facebook as a tool for, say, retailers to use because they're dealing with consumers who are doing B2C but on a very small basis, like very small transactions. But your accountant client that you're talking about, I mean, he was looking for property investors and each of them would build up a long-term relationship with him if he, if he gets them as a client. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's happened. So he... He ended up with one or two clients the first year, and then they've recommended him to others, but they've remained his clients too. And that's one of the reasons I was keen to talk to you, Kirsten, because the sort of people that you're dealing with are the sort of people who might be some, sometimes a little bit reluctant to move into these, uh, into these social network tools because they see them as, well, it's great if you want to run a Facebook competition for your retail store or you want to um, you know, have a big sign up front saying, like us, on, uh, like us on Facebook. But there are some of these... Uh, professional service firms, and some of them would be uh, running. They've, they've been in business for a long time. They've got they've got things that are already working for them. They don't think they need some of these new tools. Uh, what would you say to someone like that who says, "Well, our current marketing efforts are working. Why do we need to get involved with something that may only give us a small amount of return on our investment?" I think that's a great question, um, and I think there's a number of reasons. Firstly. Um, it can make what you're doing even more successful and easier. So just by way of an example, imagine that you're running a seminar or a conference. Um, you can use social media tools to find speakers. Um, you can promote your event to a wider audience by posting it up there. Um, and you can then measure how many people then sign up for your event as a result of that. So basically by posting to the social media sites, you can then have them coming through to the sign-up page on your website. So it's all measurable. But I think really what it can do is to amplify messages and give you a greater reach. So perhaps there's people that you've been trying to connect with and it just hasn't happened. Well, if you find that they're using one or more of the social networks, you can try to connect with them there. And I don't mean in a stalky way, but initially you might be following them um, and looking at their content. If they're on LinkedIn, you might join the same groups as them and try and engage them in discussions that are relevant to them. I suppose the important thing is, is, not, is knowing that not everybody who is on social media is active. Some of them are, are passive, so they will view what's happening, but they won't actively engage. But I think the first reason why people should use it is because it can make your offline marketing so much more successful. The second reason is really around that reputation management. So even if you're not online, your clients and other people are. So you need to know, are they talking about you online? What's being said about you? What's being said about your company? And you can set up things like Google Alerts or social mention alerts to find that sort of information out. But you absolutely need to know so that then you can determine whether to respond um, or not to. And I suppose that's looking at reputation 
in a, in a kind of negative sense, but also by using these online tools, you can actually build your reputation and position yourself in your area. So by having really good, complete profiles, for example, with, that showcase the work you've done, um, that can really add to your credibility. So if a potential client, if you're recommended to them, then they may go online and do a search for you before they contact you. And actually some research in the US has proven that point, that when, when people do get recommendations, they tend to get two or three. And before they call the people, they will typically do some research. Now if they go online, I don't think it's safe to assume that they'll go to your website. So the fact is they may, go, may well go to your LinkedIn profile. That's the obvious business one. So you need to ensure that what's up there actually reflects who you are and what you do and positions you in the best possible way. So that's another really compelling reason why um, using these tools is really important. And that's the way that we connected, Kiss, and I wouldn't have heard of you except for the fact that you were posting really high quality content on Twitter. And in fact, most of the content that you were posting was, uh, were articles that you'd found elsewhere and you were just passing them on through Twitter. And occasionally you'd post some of your own blog posts as well. But I wouldn't have come across you if I hadn't seen, seen your post through Twitter and uh, been referred by somebody else who was following you on Twitter who retweeted something. And then I thought it was interesting and I started following it. So I guess that's an example of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that's the thing. You don't have to always be creating your own content. It can be really valuable to be seen as a curator of content of, content of other people's. Um, you know, if I see something that somebody shares that I think professional services people will be interested in, I will absolutely share that because I find Twitter a really good source of of great information, it helps me to upskill. Is if you look at the stats for Australia and New Zealand, um, LinkedIn put out its new stats a couple of weeks ago, and there's over 500,000 New Zealanders on LinkedIn, which is over a quarter of our population, and over um, 2.9 million Australians. So you think, do we need to use these tools? Our offline, our offline things are working. Well. Why would you ignore a tool that potentially has that greater reach? And then similarly with Facebook, there's over 2 million Kiwis on Facebook and I think almost 10 million um, Australians. And even if all those people aren't actively involved, you've, it, it doesn't hurt to just have get the basics right, get those profiles set up. And if you're doing things offline that, that you can easily bring online or repurpose for bringing online, then then do that. Okay, so that's really interesting because you said that you don't necessarily have to be fully active on it, but you can get your profile started and going and just start building some momentum. Are there particular tools that you would recommend to most of your clients? I know you mentioned in passing earlier that if you're dealing with businesses, then you might want to use LinkedIn. If you're dealing with consumers, you might want to use Facebook. Is that a general rule or are there, is there something more specific that you would advise most of your clients? I mean, I'd advise people to talk to their clients and prospects and ask them which tools they're using, um, as well as to do a search. So, for example, in LinkedIn, um, people could do an advanced search on specific industry sectors if they're targeting that or specific keywords and have a look at who's on there 
because that will give you a really good sense of whether those people that you want to engage are on that platform and, and go from there. I think you know, typically with the clients that I deal with, it tends to be lawyers and accountants. So they're traditionally quite risk averse. And LinkedIn is, is seen as the professional network. And it's safer in a sense because if you do make a mistake, it's less likely to escalate. That's, that's an interesting comment about it escalating because all the, now that you mention it, all the stories that I hear about social media disasters, <laughs> reputation disasters, are pretty much to do with Facebook and Twitter, aren't they? And I think that's just the nature of the networks. Are there any other tools that you think that most businesses don't need or, don't, or shouldn't be using even? Shouldn't be using? I, I don't I think a bit strong. I think you need to start off small. So start off with those tools where the people that you want to engage with are. But monitor the other tools because what works for you this year may not be the best tool for you next year. So I, I understand that time's limited and you can't do everything. So I would typically focus on one or two tools, but just keep the others in mind and keep looking and, and seeing, well, is there an opportunity for me there and what could I be doing? Um, that would be my advice. Okay, so it's not really the case of just seeing something new comes up like Pinterest and you go, okay, well, I need to get on Pinterest because everyone else is. If you've already got a solid foundation on a couple of the others, then it's okay to wait uh, and to just focus on the ones that you're using at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And what you may want to do in, in you know, using Pinterest as an example, I got my virtual assistant just to put a couple of my blog posts up there and um, I, I had a few hits as a result, but the people who were hitting are really my target demographic. So you know, in very little time I was able to, to establish that and it's something I'm keeping an eye on, but yeah, I'm not active on, on Pinterest at the moment for that reason. And I think it's interesting for people like us, Kirsten, so you and I, we, we're the ones who are advising our clients about this. So we should probably be the ones who get on there earlier. We should be the early adopters and find out how it works and how it can help our clients. But our clients, that's not their core business, so they should be sticking to what they do and using the tools that, that are effective for them rather than trying to evaluate every new kid on the block. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I mean, social media, you, you see a lot about it, how it has the potential to be a major time waster. And that's true. But I think if you know why you're using it and how it can help you contribute, how it can help contribute towards your goals, then you can be really focused and it can really benefit a business. Yeah, now do you have any interesting stories? I won't ask you to name names, but do you, do you have any examples of people who've kind of not got the idea or they've been resistant to the idea of using some of these tools and then suddenly they've switched over or they reluctantly switched over and found that it's been a success for them? A couple who are starting, there's a lawyer who, um, who I've done some work with and he um, has started to use LinkedIn a lot more actively and and Facebook, interestingly, but he's a divorce lawyer, so, so that makes sense for him. <laughs> and, and he's, he's building his, his Facebook followers, and you can see a bit of traction there. But he started using um, LinkedIn advertising, and I see a lot of it, and I don't know 
how successful it's been for him, but I haven't seen any other lawyer doing that. And I've heard a few people comment on it. So his visibility is obviously there and people are noticing it, which is great. In terms of other clients, um, I'm finding that people are really wanting to get the basics right first. So their LinkedIn profiles um, is a key one, and I think that's right. But taking it to the next level, there haven't been so many people. I've, in my business, I've certainly got work through LinkedIn, um, which, has, which has taken a while, but it's been really good quality work. And it's interesting why people come to you. It's often not, not why you think. So I had one situation where the prospective client had read, my, had read my profile, thought I could help. But the real reason he contacted me was the fact we'd both done the New York Marathon. Ah, yes. So it's interesting how that, how that personal stuff comes through and, and how important that is as well to include. Yeah, that's a really good point because uh, one of the features of many of these social networks is that the, the word itself is social. So uh, people are sharing more and more of their personal and social stuff, sometimes too much, but that personal connection does make a difference, isn't it, because people still do business with people. Absolutely, and, and people need to get a sense of who you are. Um, I. I, one of the things I do is interview clients of professional services firms about um, what's important to them and how my clients are performing. And over, in interviewing over 200 clients, 83% of them say that they hire the person rather than the firm, um, but the backing of the firm can, can be important. But when they were saying the key criteria they used to select, the experience is important but also personal fit kept coming through. So are they somebody I can work with? Will they fit with me and my team? And some of that will come through in your experience and in your case studies, but a lot of that will be in your personal interests and just, just giving them a sense of who you are. Yeah, okay. So if someone's really interested in getting started, Kirsten, so if they've been inspired by our conversation today and they want to get started, uh, what, well, let's do, let's do this in a couple of steps. So what, what are the things that typically might get in the way so that we can warn people of things to just be aware of? I think that lack of time, you know, the client work. When, you, when, you, when you're busy with that day-to-day -day running your business, it can be really easy to let this side of things slip. And I think also just not being clear about why you're doing it is another thing. If, if, if it's just something that you're trying out but that you've got no, no real clear goals, I think that can really get in the way. And as well as expecting short-term results, you know, I've had a number of people say, I'm on LinkedIn but I haven't got any work. And, and then you question what they're doing and they're not actually doing anything. So I think it, those expectations, having, having unrealistic expectations can also get in the way. Okay, and you also mentioned time, which is, of course, a big one for all of us. Uh, is this something that they need to do themselves, or should they be, or can they be delegating some of it? And if so, if they're going to be delegating, do they need to be delegating it in-house, or like what you're doing, where you've got a virtual assistant, or do they actually need a marketing consultant to, to do that work for them? I think the engagement they should be doing themselves, because, you know, if you've identified... 10 people that you want to build a relationship with, then it's really important that, that you do that yourself. 
But I think in terms of monitoring the networks and developing content, that's something that you could use your teams to do or outsource. Um, setting up and optimizing your profile, you could, you could also outsource. Um, when you're deciding, it's really thinking, well, what, what can you do and what, what can't you do or don't you have the time to do? And I think if you want to run advertising on LinkedIn or Facebook, for example, that's something you may want to outsource just because it's going to take a lot of time to monitor and tweak. And so typically that's something that you bring in a specialist for. It all comes down to how are you going to use it, what, what can you commit to doing yourself. And if there's only one thing, I'd say it would be that, that engagement. It's interesting because a number of the organisations that you work with, uh, some of the some of the practices, Kirsten, would have would have teams of people, and some of them might be juniors. But those juniors might be the Gen Ys who are really keen to get involved with something like Facebook or Twitter, uh, and even with LinkedIn. And have you come across firms that would gladly outsource that sort of work to their juniors, who will then do maybe even a better job than the principals would? Yeah, there's um, there's a couple of firms here who are putting together. They, they've got blog posts for their industry sectors and they get a different person in the team um, is rostered on to write the blog post. So essentially it means that each person only has to write one, one every couple of months rather than one a week, which is great. And there's also a firm here who um, has different Twitter accounts for, for different practice areas. And they, again, one person is allocated every week to monitoring and posting at least two or three pieces of useful content. So that's a really good example of how they are using their teams. So I'm really curious in those situations, uh, from a branding viewpoint, are the people who are posting, do they get, do they get their name seen as the author or does the, do the blog posts go out and the Twitter accounts go out from the firm's name or the department's name? Or, or is it really from the person's name? Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really good point. The the blog posts um, will have the, the the name on, but it will be a, a company account. But the Twitter feeds is a company account. And what would you um, recommend? So it really, in an ideal world, I'd say personal because people connect with people. And again, you know, I I know when I'm on Twitter, I'm far more likely to share an individual's content than I am a company's um, and it's just because you connect with people. I think it's perhaps different when you're dealing with a brand. Um, you're quite happy to deal with Air New Zealand for example mm -hmm. um, and, and just to have the Air New Zealand ferry or whoever it happens to be that you're dealing with there but I think in the professional services context it's good to, to get those personalities coming through. But then I realized that that's an ideal situation. And when you're starting out with these tools, you need to start somewhere. And it's perhaps an easier way to start, to have the firm doing it, or to set up these industry, um, industry feeds. I think the best example I've seen is a, is a firm in Scotland, Inksters. And they, I think, liken it to battleships. And they say, you know, your firm is the mothership, and then you've got these. Um, different areas and then you've got your individuals um, but they are very sophisticated and they do tweet as individuals and then that feeds up into the firm 
into the firm account as well. Um, so they'd be a good one for people to have a look at. Yeah, great, great. Well, I think yes, and I think you've probably inspired some people to get started. So what should they do? What should they do right now if they were to come to the end of this interview, the end of this conversation, and they're all motivated to do something? What do you recommend that they do? A couple of things. Firstly, if they're not already using um, any of the tools, then talk to your clients about and, and other people that you want to engage with about which tools they're using, and, and go on and have a look. And, and see um, where, where the best place to start is. The second thing is I would set up a Google Alert um, so that you can see on your name and on your company name so that you can see if anything is being said about you, both positive and negative. And then for those who are on um, any of the social media networks, just make sure that your profiles present you in the best possible light. There's nothing worse than an incomplete profile. Mm-hmm. And, and what are you talking about? Like, this is not rocket science. These are fairly easy things to do to get started, aren't they? And they're not very scary either. No, not at all. And, and the great thing about these channels is they are so intuitive. They're, um, that it's really easy to, to follow the instructions and to, to set up a profile. But also there's so many videos and how-tos that you can watch as well. So even if you, you don't know how to something, you just type it into Google and there's instantaneously so many things telling you how to do it. So what can you do, Kirsten? I know that you help professional service firms and maybe even other businesses in this area. What are the sort of things that you can do to help them if they're interested in getting in touch with you? Um, I can help them. I mean, I can look at their their business plan, their marketing plan, and suggest some ways that using social media could help them to achieve their objectives. If if they're looking at creating content, which is something we haven't really talked about today, but um, you know, I think it, creating good content or repurposing your content for online is a really key part of leveraging social media. Then I can help them to develop that content plan. Um, can also help them with the basics, getting that pro, those profiles set up and optimized, um, helping them set up groups, um, and creating inbound, trying to create programs that will help get inbound leads from social media. And do you only work in New Zealand, or do you take clients from all around the world? I work predominantly in New Zealand, but I do have some clients overseas as well. So I've got a client in the UK. Um, I can basically work anywhere. These tools make it so easy to do so. It's fantastic. I know. It is fantastic, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And here we are. Like I'm sitting here in my office in Perth, and you are uh, in another country, and we're having this conversation. It's just brilliant. Yeah. wouldn't have been able to do that 10 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Kirsten, if they're interested in finding out more about your services? So the best way is either through my website, which is www.k, letter K, S, C-O-P-E marketing.co.nz or um, connect with me on LinkedIn. So if, if they do a search for Kirsten Hodgson, then they should find my profile and feel free to connect. Great. Thanks, Kirsten. I've, I've learned a lot from this conversation and I thought I knew a lot about this areas already, but uh, it's been really interesting talking and I really thank you for sharing your, your valuable insights and your wisdom. No, thanks, Gian, and thanks to you too. I've learned so much about webinars and and ebooks and things from you. It's fantastic. Oh yes, actually talking about ebooks, you've got an ebook coming out. Do you want to mention that? 
Yes, I'm um, in the middle of writing an ebook on LinkedIn for lawyers, and it's a practical guide to LinkedIn from a business development and marketing perspective. So it's really just designed to that they can read it and come away knowing what to do and how to use the various parts of LinkedIn and, and how it can help them from that business development and marketing perspective. It's been in the pipeline for a while and we're now about 95% there, so should be done in the next month. Great, and I'm sure that if people go to kscopemarketing.co.nz, they'll, they'll see all the news about that when it's available. Yes, definitely. Brilliant. Thanks again, Kirsten. Great to speak. Thanks, Gian. Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works, but most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. That's fastflatandfree.com. Now, by the way, even if you don't get the Fast, Flat and Free book, I recommend you do visit the website anyway because you can sign up for my free webinar series called The Internet Business Revolution. And what happens is twice a month I run a webinar that's based on one of the topics in the book and expand on it and help you apply it to your business. These are live events, so you have the chance to interact and ask me questions as well. The next two webinars are about article marketing and e-book publishing. So those are both important topics for experts and thought leaders, especially if you want to expand your uh, authority and and build your reputation. So check them out at fastflatandfree.com. Now speaking of webinars, I want to turn to the idea of presenting your own webinars because I know that's something that a lot of people are interested in. And again, it's one of those things that helps you establish your authority and build your reputation. And one of the most common questions I get asked is how to choose a webinar provider. Now if you have my book Webinar Smarts, you'll know that I recommend GoToWebinar, which is one of the best known and one that's been around for a while. And I also suggest a few other providers. As it turns out, there are a bewildering number of tools available nowadays for conducting webinars and online meetings. It seems that there's a new service cropping up every few weeks. Now, that's good for us as customers because there's a lot of competition, but it also means that it's difficult to choose the right provider. So, if you're not just going to go with GoToWebinar, which is the one that I recommend, and you're going to be evaluating other webinar platforms and providers, let me give you a list of 10 things that you might consider when you're looking at different services. So, number one, webinars versus online meetings. So many of the services are excellent for meetings, which are group discussions, but don't have specific features to help you run webinars, which are presentations. So things like good registration pages, automatic email reminders before the webinar, polls during the webinar, and attendance reports of the people who, who turned up to the webinar. The next one is price. Of course, the price of the service is an important consideration, but it's not always easy to compare different services because there are a number of factors that affect the price, including things like the number of attendees, the number of webinars, whether there's advertising, and so on. So think about that when you're looking at price. The next one is advertising, which I mentioned. Some of the free services are supported by advertising. That's the price you pay for having a free service. But well, I don't think it looks professional if your webinar participants are seeing ads during your presentation. It's certainly not something I want with my webinars. The next one is limits. So check what limits the service imposes. For example, there might be a limit on the number of attendees in a webinar, the number of webinars you can run each month, the length of a webinar, the availability of the webinar line when you want to do it, when you want to run your webinars, and so on. Now, of course, some limits are to be expected, and all the service providers have limits. Just be aware of them when you're comparing them with each other. The next one is geographical features, because webinars are, by definition, for participants to access remotely. So be sure that the platform that you're using does support 
people accessing your webinar from different time zones in different countries. This can be as simple as just allowing participants to register in their own time zone, but many webinar providers don't do this. And in my experience, the biggest problem that people have with attending webinars is they get the time zone wrong. So if your webinar provider has some help for your participants, that's a bonus. The next one is screen sharing. Can you share anything at all on your screen or do you have to upload your presentation to the webinar provider? That option, the latter option of where you have to upload the presentation is less flexible. Whereas if you can share anything on your screen, then you don't only have to show a PowerPoint presentation, you can show a PDF file, you can show things in your web browser, you can open up an Excel spreadsheet and demonstrate something on there. That gives you much more flexibility. The next one's audience microphones. Can you allow your audience members to speak during the webinar or can you only take written feedback? I love to have audience members speaking. It adds some variety and makes the webinar seem more dynamic. And of course, some people feel more comfortable um, putting their questions into, into spoken form rather than trying to type them into a small question box. The next one's audience engagement tools. So look at what other ways the webinar provider gives you to engage with your audience. So things like polls and chat rooms, switching over to their screen, taking over their mouse and keyboard with their permission, of course, and those sort of features make the webinar more engaging. The next one's social media integration. Some webinar providers make it easy for you to link your webinar to social media. For example, creating the webinar as an event on Facebook or using a Twitter back channel during the webinar or uploading the record recording to YouTube automatically. Some providers provide those sort of features. This can be useful if you're running a lot of free promotional webinars and you're active on social media. And the last one is about recording. Is it easy to record your webinars and make them available for later playback? Or does the webinar provider require you to have some other form of recording mechanism? And if the provider does host the recording, which some of them do, do they give you unlimited space or limited space? And how much does that space cost you if you need to upgrade? So those are 10 things to consider. This isn't a comprehensive list by any means, but it does cover what I think are some of the most important factors. Personally, I think some people spend way too much time evaluating, assessing and comparing every webinar platform because they're trying to find the best when they'd be far better off just choosing one that works and actually running webinars. So if you're getting started, here's my advice. Choose GoToWebinar. So go to GoToWebinar.com. It's a service that I've been using for many years. It gives you a 30-day free trial and try it. It's powerful, it's reliable, it's affordable. If you're doing a reasonable number of webinars, even at the $100 a month, it's very affordable. It has all the features that you need for delivering high-quality webinars. My main advice is get started. Webinars are a powerful tool for marketing, training, coaching, and customer service, all from the comfort of your home or office. Get Gihan's book, Webinar Smarts, from WebinarSmarts.com and tap into the awesome power of webinars. That's WebinarSmarts.com. Let's come back to the topic of online reputation. So Kirsten, earlier on in that interview, gave us some great ideas about how to build your reputation using social media and other internet marketing tools, but what do you do to protect it? Now, in the book Out of Office, which I wrote with my friend Chris Pudney, we talked about this. We explained the importance of being careful when engaging with other people online. Now, Chris and I discussed this in a conversation recently, which I've got recorded. We talked about two key principles of managing your online reputation. First, be careful about what you say. And second, monitor what other people are saying about you. So the first of these principles is bite your tongue. Your online activities should be thought of as public and permanent. 
So even activities that you might otherwise consider to be private, such as your email conversations with your colleagues or photos that you share with friends on social media platforms like Facebook and so forth, they have the potential to become public at some point in the future, even though you might consider them to be private at the time that you're engaged with them. Now, you might also think that you can some way uh, erase them. You can delete your sent mail folder or you can close your Facebook account and that uh, you might think all traces of your activity have been erased. But what about the copies of those emails that you sent to others? And when you close your Facebook account, does Facebook actually erase all of your data from a service? Turns out that they don't. And even if they did, even if they did, uh, what about copies or screenshots of your messages and pics that your Facebook friends have uh, kept for themselves? And in fact, there's a rather humorous blog called Failbook, uh, which is devoted to screenshots of some of the more amusing conversations that have taken place on social media platforms. Of course, Failbook uh, makes sure they anonymise the identities of the people in those conversations to protect the guilty. So once you send an email message or you post to a blog or you upload a picture or video or you tweet or you update your status on Facebook or you submit an online comment, you've left an indelible mark on the internet and it's one that you can no longer control and is part of your online reputation. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've been familiar with, Chris, you and I, for the last 25 years because we've been using email for that long. But a lot of people now are just suddenly realizing that fact. So we've always been careful that if you don't want anyone else, if you don't want someone to see the content of your email, uh, in, in other words, wider than the people you're sending it to, then don't send it an email. Uh, pick up the phone and call them or walk over and talk to them rather than sending it an email. Uh, but now there are more people online who are doing things like Twitter and Facebook without realizing the consequence of what they're doing. Absolutely, Gihan. Yeah, so as we say, just to repeat, treat everything online as public and permanent. Yeah, and so, you know, that said, we're not trying to encourage a siege mentality here. So there are things that you might prefer to be private, but you don't really mind if they become public. So, for example, when um, I correspond with my help desk uh, assistant, Ray Stanton, and we send email between ourselves, it's the sort of email that we wouldn't share with clients, but really I don't mind if accidentally we CC a client on it. It's just it's just that we don't want to bother, with, uh, bother them with that email or it might have some internal technical stuff. We don't mind if it becomes public, so there, there's obviously information that you're posting where it doesn't matter if it becomes a bit public, so we're not saying don't send anything. It's just the stuff that could be harmful uh, to your reputation. Just be very careful about. So just a few uh, rules of etiquette and some precautions that you might want to take. Uh, and I'll go through a few of them, Chris, and jump in whenever you want to. Sure. So, so one thing is, uh, let, let's start off with email. So don't send email to people who don't need it. So don't CC people if they really, really, really don't need to, to see that email. So just waste their time, lowers their productivity. And on a similar similar concept, don't hit reply all unless it's absolutely necessary. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. They just hit reply all and then it floods everybody else's inbox. When we look at something like Facebook, uh, Facebook by default uh, prefers to make things public, prefers to make your information public because it's in their vested interest to do so. So whenever they introduce new features, it generally requires Facebook users to opt out if you want to increase your privacy. And we recommend that you just turn up all your privacy settings. So make as little public as possible and uh, only make things public if you think it's just going to be really useful to you and your friends to have that public, but otherwise keep it private, and even to the extent of keeping it off Facebook if you don't, if you really don't want to make it public. Uh, and also the other thing with Facebook is Facebook is all about 
uh, and they, in fact, they promote this as this is for the people in your life. So it's not for strangers. So only invite people to be your friends, the people who you know and trust, and don't extend it to people who you wouldn't normally consider as friends. And now that Facebook has an option for you to create separate pages, so business pages or what used to be called fan pages, there's really no reason why you need to have uh, people other than your family and friends in your personal profile. So use your personal profile for family and friends. Use your business page for your clients and people outside your network for strangers. Uh, I guess the other one, so learn the difference between sending a direct message to someone, which is private, and what's called an at reply, which is public. And this is, it's actually an easy trap to fall into, especially if you're not used to Twitter. If you say DM and somebody's name, so if somebody sends a message saying DM Gihan Pereira, that's a direct message to me. It's just like sending an email to me. Whereas if they say at Gihan Pereira and then have typed their message, it actually goes out to everybody. It just happens to have my name at the front of it. And uh, lots of people have fallen into the trap of sending what they thought was a private direct message, but actually was a, uh, was a public at reply. Yeah, yeah. Last night I sort of did an at reply to one of the people I follow and it wasn't uh, the sort of thing that I normally uh, tweet about. So normally I tweet about uh, my visualization uh, uh, based material. But last night I thought uh, I saw a funny tweet from one of the guys I follow. So I replied with what I thought was a funny tweet tweet as well. But I, but I thought about it before I did it. I thought, should this be a DM or should this be an at reply? And knowing the difference. And I think that's the important thing is to know the difference and to think about it before taking action. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also, if it is something that you really don't want uh, published wider, then don't send either. Yes. Uh, And just broadly, in terms of social media, uh, just think of it this way, that Facebook is private, is more private than public, Twitter is more public than private, and LinkedIn is somewhere in between. So if you think of the big three social networks, you're thinking about how, how much information you should make public, then those... That's a, that's a broad rule of thumb to keep in mind. Facebook's very private, Twitter's very public, LinkedIn somewhere in between. We've talked about how to protect your online uh, reputation. Finally, what's being said about you uh, online? And there are various services that are tailored to meet that, prob- meet that kind of problem. The first is Google Alerts. So what you could do is you could go to Google and each day you could uh, do a search for yourself, a bit of ego surfing, find out what's being said about you. But Google makes that uh, even easier by allowing you to have that search run periodically and the search results get sent to you. You can either have them sent to you by email or you can have them sent to you as a, a web feed, an RSS web feed. So that's a really good way of keeping abreast of what's being said about you online. If you're lucky, like Gihan and me, you have a fairly distinctive name. Uh, if your name is Jane Smith, then it might be a little bit more difficult to find out whether you're being talked about or any of the other mil- hundreds or thousands of other Jane Smiths. Another website that you brought to, to my attention, Gihan, is socialmention.com, which does pretty much the same thing, except that it focuses on social media. So, again, you can get a cert- run a search for your own name or someone else's name, if you like, or whatever keywords you choose, uh, and it will run a search for those keywords across various social media platforms. It claims uh, hundreds, but the leading ones such as Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Dig, uh, and Google are searched, and it will return those uh, search results to you either in the form of an alert or you can do an ad hoc search and you can see what's being said uh, about you at that particular time. Yep, and I do both. So I have a Google alert for my name, I have a socialmention.com for my name, and as you said, Chris, uh, you can get them as a web feed, which means it's like 
uh, if you subscribe to blogs and you've got some sort of reader, like Google Reader, it's exactly the same thing. And uh, I actually, surprisingly, I do get, there is another very prominent Gihan Pereira who works for the Miami Workers Center and he's often publishing stuff. So I have to still look through the results that come through and figure out which are, the, which are mentions of me. But because it comes in my blog reader rather than cluttering up my email, it only takes a couple of minutes, actually less than that, a couple of seconds a day to just check what people are saying about me online. Fantastic. So I guess the other thing is then what happens if you do find, if you do detect that something has been said about you and harms your reputation, and I guess really this should be a completely different uh, podcast episode because we're talking here about protecting your reputation so it doesn't get to this stage, but I guess we can give people some simple guidelines, Chris, on just simple things they can do if they do find that somebody has been uh, harming their reputation or, or they've done something that harms their own reputation. Yes, hey, the first of these is don't try to suppress it, uh, lest you suffer from the Streisand effect. And just to give you the background uh, to the name Streisand effect, uh, it arose when some aerial photographs of Barbara Streisand's mansion appeared online. Uh, so she took measures to try and get them taken down and as a result of uh, trying to do that, she drew more publicity to those aerial photographs than she otherwise would have got if she just let things lie. And it's exactly what happened with the super injunctions in the UK. Yep. Uh, so the second thing, so we talked about what not to do, but what what you should do is address it directly, not by not by suppressing it, but by giving people the facts and assuming that you haven't done something which deserves to harm your reputation. Uh, do take the do make the effort to address uh, to address the issue directly. So offer facts and logic and common sense. I saw this, Chris, when I was investigating property investments, and there was a company that was that was basically helping investors buy investment properties. And I found there was some uh, there were some online forums which actually were fairly disparaging about this company. But the company, instead of contacting the forum coordinators and the owners and getting them to remove these comments and threatening them with def- uh, with defamation and uh, uh, legal avenues, what they did was they responded to the forum and said, "Look, here are the facts, and here are some links. You can check us out. Here's here's the the balance to that argument." And in that way, they came across as as fairly uh, fairly reasonable, and people saw them as going, "Okay, well, these people might be okay because even though some people are critical of them, they they're fighting back, but doing it in a logical, reasonable way." Yeah. Another thing you can do is to ask other people to vouch for you. But it's important that, uh, that, it's, that it's genuine. So they've got to declare their interests. Don't get them to do it anonymously. anonymously and especially don't fake those, uh, those identities. Otherwise, it'll, you'll be found out and it'll just make things worse. You'll be digging yourself even deeper into the dirt. Exactly. And if you have got a strong and a positive reputation and you've got clients and colleagues and friends who will vouch for you, well... Ask them to, and sometimes they'll just pitch in anyway because they'll see it as well and they want to help you out. Uh, but them to pitch in and say, uh, declare their interests and, and say what they think of you. And that really comes down to our, our last bit of advice, which is just rely on that positive reputation that you've built up, which does mean that you have to build it up beforehand. So it's not one of those things that you can easily flood the internet with positive stuff as soon as someone harms your reputation. But if you've been taking the efforts to build a positive reputation online, then one or two harmful articles or posts or comments, isn't, uh, they're, they're not really going to harm you too much. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere, your home, an office, an internet cafe, 
or even a city on the other side of the world. The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. Learn how to be portable, stay productive, and run a profitable business. Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. That's outofofficebook.com. I want to talk about my eGurus community. I run a members-only webinar for the eGurus community every month, and this month's webinar is about building your online reputation and authority. The eGurus community is my private membership site for thought leaders, infopreneurs, and business professionals. Members of the community, they pay $50 a month. They get access to me and many of my resources, including these monthly webinars. So if you're an eGurus member, come along to this webinar and I'll show you how to create a simple strategy and process so that you can build your authority step by step without taking hours of your time every week or even every day. We're also starting our special interest groups this month and we kick off with a group about membership sites. So if you're interested in building or growing a paid membership site for your business, come along to this eGuru special interest group. We meet once a month for five months and you get the chance to ask questions, share ideas with others who are on that same journey. You can sign up to the webinar and the special interest group in the eGurus community. Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, or thought leader? Join the eGurus community, Gihan's private membership site, where you can learn about blogging, social media, ebooks, online courses, webinars, membership sites, and much, much more. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info and take your e-marketing and e-learning to the next level. That's eGurus.info. So I'll be heading to Sydney in a few weeks' time to run my two-day Build Your Website in Two Days workshop. So Monday the 26th and Tuesday the 27th of March. So if you want to build a website for your business or even for a specific product, service or market in your business, this is the perfect way to do it. It costs less than $1,500 and you build a professional website with a newsletter, a blog, a shopping cart, password protected section and more. Come to some great templates so you get a really good graphic design as well. And more importantly, you're building it yourself. So you've got full control of it for the future. You kind of do the training as you're building it. And you learn it once, and you can even build more websites yourself later. So you can find out more at buildyourwebsiteintwodays.com. So the workshop's almost full, but I have got a couple of places left. I think there are three spaces still available. So go to buildyourwebsiteintwodays.com. My final thought about authority and reputation, well, my final thought, at least for this episode of the Expert Girl Radio Show, comes from one of my favorite actors, Steve Martin. When he was asked about the secret to success, he said this, be so good they can't ignore you. So be so good they can't ignore you. And that pretty much sums up what it means to be successful online, especially if your marketing is all about positioning yourself as an expert. So know what you're good at, become great at it, and share it with the right people. And be so good they can't ignore you. So that's it for the March 2012 Expert Gold Radio Show. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business. Thanks to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for helping with the voiceovers. Look forward to having you join us again just before Easter in April. Our feature interview for April is with John Hyman, who is an expert on article marketing, which is another great tool for building your authority and boosting your reputation. So don't miss it. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.